A young man's journey into the jungle to find some guava turns into a close encounter of the ferned kind. Get it? Because ferns, jungles. That might have been a bit of a stretch. But then the next story we're going to look at, if you didn't like that one, don't worry. There's another one coming. A young woman goes missing. Unfortunately, things like this happen quite often. But when her mysterious disappearance is linked to a haunted lighthouse, all bets are off. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. Let's go ahead and move on with our first topic. Now, let's go ahead. You know, we don't really have a jungle terrain vehicle. We, we did, until I got blown up, the carpenter copter. But, but we're just going to have to hack and slash our way through the jungle here. Because what we're doing is we are going to South America. Specifically, we are headed down to Brazil. So, you're hacking and slashing. I'm just walking behind you, because, you know, I'll let you do all the grunt work. You're the one who wants to hear these stories. Hacking and slashing through the jungle. I'll help fight cougars. Or mountain lions. No, no, what are they called? The jaguars. Yeah, I'll fight those while you're hacking and slashing through. And as we're going through the jungles of Brazil, we also go back in time to the year 1978. I was two years old when this story took place. So imagine me as a two-year-old baby sitting watching... What was on in 1978? (laughs) Watching Three's a Company. I actually wasn't allowed to watch that show. Not just as a baby... That was one of the many shows that was banned in my house growing up. We weren't allowed to watch Three's Company, which it wasn't that funny anyways. I didn't care. Uh, And I don't remember what else, probably because they were banned. But I remember there's a lot of stuff we couldn't watch in our house. Too crude was what my dad said. That show's too crude. Oddly enough, Meredith Children. We got to watch that. I think my dad was more relaxed by the time that show came out. Anyways, so it's 1978. And as we're in the jungle, we're basically cutting a parallel path. We're basically stalking this kid, really. We don't want to interact with them. We don't want to interfere with what's about to happen. There's a young man. His name is Luis Carlos Serra, 16-year-old boy. He's walking through the jungle, and he's in the jungle specifically to go pick up some guava, which actually sounds pretty dope. Imagine, and we kind of covered this. The Amazon is actually man-made. It was made as like a giant supermarket by the natives hundreds or thousands of years ago. There's something compelling about being able to just be like, you know what, what do you want for lunch? I don't know, a couple pears and just walk out and grab pears. Like, I've never lived in, I know people on farm, basically I've just explained like farm life, but I've never been like that. I've always been like, oh man, I want some guava, which I don't, I've never even eaten guava, but let's say I like, oh, I want an apple, I have to walk to a store to get an apple, or walk to a farmer's market to get an apple. I've never just been able to walk out to a tree Pick an apple off a tree and eat it. I've never, ever, ever experienced that at all. Super bizarre now that I say that out loud, but I've never experienced that. Never walked up to a chicken, shook it till an egg popped out, and ate the egg. I've never done any of that stuff, so. But anyways, he's able to. Luis was able to go in. He's looking for guava. Now it's noon. The hot sun is overhead, beating down on his body. (laughs) I don't know why he paused like that. It was weird. Anyways, it's beating down on him. And he's just going about his day, and then all of a sudden, he hears a... And it was louder than that. I was just trying to make a sound effect, a a dramatic sound effect. It was a loud bang! But I didn't want to blow your eardrums out. Loud bang. So imagine that clap with the bang on top of it. 
times 20. Because it's loud enough that gets his attention. He's in the jungle. If he's not paying attention to all the predators lurking around him, he's dead. He's constantly having to turn around so he never has his back to a giant jungle cat. This noise is loud enough to make him go, oh, I don't care about what's in the jungle. What's overhead? Because this loud sound came from overhead. He looks up and he says, he says he sees something that is brighter than the sun. It's a light brighter than the sun. Now, it's interesting because what he is seeing, he doesn't know what it is, but we do. We, We traveled back in time, so we know the future. What he's seen is a UFO. And there's there's a couple interesting things about this right off the bat. One, broad daylight. Like broad, broad daylight. And two, at noon, when the sun's directly overhead, to see something brighter than the sun right above you almost seems impossible. Because you're already bathed in light. And for something to be lighter than the light you're in, I guess if you're like outside in the day and someone stra- like flashes a strobe light in front of you, that's technically brighter than the sun but it just seems such a it seems so bizarre to have that be like i was it was looked up at the sun but then i saw something actually brighter than the sun right above me and then that wasn't bad enough if he wasn't his mind wasn't reeling by like how is this possible he starts to be pushed down he said that he described it as if two strong hands were holding his shoulders and slowly like pushing him to the ground pushing him down and he couldn't resist it and it finally gets him all the way to the ground and now he's laying flat completely paralyzed and looking up at this super bright light now at this point you're thinking what could be worse like what's going to happen now like what's going to happen to this poor kid he's been blinded he's been paralyzed jungle cats are putting on their bibs getting ready to eat him but then he slowly starts to lift off off the ground starts to levitate over the jungle floor, and begins flying up into the craft. Now, that sounds kind of cool, because you think, like, you'd be Superman and stuff, but it's not cool if you can't control it. Like, Superman is only cool because he controls where he flies. If he had all his normal powers, but Flex Luthor decided where he went, he wouldn't be that cool. And that was this dude. This guy was Superman with no self-control. He ends up flying into the UFO. Like a big window opened up. He flies into the window. He's actually terrified at this point. There's no dramatic music playing. Oh, I think Superman came out this year, actually. Didn't it come out like 77, 78? Anyways, not Superman. The boy (laughs) flies into the UFO, defeats Brainiac. The boy flies into the UFO and... He's sitting there. He's not sitting there. He's actually a prisoner. He's still paralyzed. He says that he sees these three figures in metallic suits walking around the inside of the UFO. Can't understand what they're saying. And interestingly enough, they also have visors. So he can't see their face. He can't really see anything. They're basically wearing armor. And he can't understand what they're saying. So none of this telepathy, none of this universal translators, he is their prisoner and they don't want him to know what they're saying now i know right now you're thinking jason you don't cover a lot of ufo stuff and there's a reason why i don't cover a lot of ufo stuff it's not because i don't believe it it's because most of it is i looked up in the sky i saw a light i couldn't identify it flew away or i looked up in the sky this little hover ship appeared and then flew away i like the stuff where people are meeting stuff and abductions are always cool but usually abductions are just like i got abducted they stuck something up my butthole and then i went home and i'm like eh. this story 
is has an interesting connection to a story that I've covered in the past, and I want to see if you guys can catch it. And I'll explain it if you didn't, but I'm not just going to end the episode. Anyways, so he gets, he's talking to these, he's not talking to them. Again, he's just trapped. These metal armored aliens are walking around. They take, so, and they're walking around. The UFO is, continues to fly. And then he flies, like, again, being levitated, flies back off, like, the little doctor table in the UFO, back out the window. And as he's floating down, what he sees is a giant stone, like a giant flat stone on the ground, surrounded by grass in all directions. So he's no longer nowhere near where he left. He has no idea where he's at. And as he's being lowered onto this rock, this big giant slab, this flat slab, he looks up, he sees the night sky, but the night sky is just black. There is no stars whatsoever in this sky. So he's able to see this UFO hovering above him. It's the the traditional disc-shaped type UFO. Flying out the window, he sees below him the grass and the rock slab. He sees above him just pitch black. No stars, no nothing. And he lands on the rock slab. He lands on the slab. And the figures are standing back over him. And they have this ball. This tra- they, It's described as a transparent ball full of strange liquid. And they force the whole ball into his mouth. And he wakes up. He's on the jungle floor. Completely paralyzed. Now, he can't move. And he can't really talk. He's just laying on the jungle floor. He's crying out for help. He can't move. And finally, a fisherman just walking by. (laughs) Andy Griffith and his son are walking through the jungle. And they see this 16-year-old boy laying on the ground. And he's like, help me, help me. I'll use the only word I know in Spanish. Agua. Agua. And I learned that from Sesame Street. So anyways, they give him some water. And he's like, no, no, no water. I need help. I need help. They pick him up. I don't know why I'm saying they. It's only one fisherman. I love it when my fictional jokes end up becoming part of the story. Just one person, one fisherman. There was no son there. There was no Barney Fife either. One fisherman, just one, picks him up, takes the boy to the hospital. Three days this kid had been missing. He went out to go get the guava. And three days later, they find him on the jungle floor. The family thought he was gone. They had no idea where this kid went. Three days had gone missing in that period of time. He was floating around, hanging out on rocks in the middle of nowhere. And for 10 days, he was completely catatonic. He just sat there in bed, paralyzed. He couldn't talk. Well, he could. He could say agua. But I mean, like, he could he could kind of be like, uh, type stuff. But he couldn't move, and he couldn't really communicate. He sat there for 10 days. And what the doctors noticed, they noticed a couple odd things. One, his hair was gone. And first they thought it was shaved off, but as they were looking at it closer, they realized it was burned off because he actually had burn marks along the tops of his ears. And four of his teeth had been broken, shattered. And they think that it was fairly recent because there was still blood on his teeth. Like there was still fresh blood. So it was like he was a recent wound. Maybe the fisherman dropped him a couple times as he was carrying him. But eventually, after 10 days, the kid, Luis, snaps out of it. And tells the story of what happened. Now, of course, some people believed in it and some people didn't. And it kind of became this big brouhaha in the area and stuff like that. And it's just become a story that's kind of disappeared into UFOlogy. Except for one detail. I did an episode a while back about uh, Bigfoot being an interdimensional creature. And in this episode and in this story, there was a hiker who was walking through the woods. 
he was walking through the woods. He walked through a portal, which he didn't know was there, and ended up in a dense jungle area where there was a Bigfoot-type creature that was about to attack him from behind. He says, I just saw the hand. I heard a voice go, gotcha. And this hand reached towards him, and then he stepped back out of the portal. But in that portal world where he went, it was bright daylight during uh, when he was walking through the forest, and then he walks through the portal, and it's nighttime in this jungle. He said one of the most alien things about the whole thing was he looked up at the sky. It was pitch black with no stars. Interesting detail, and that's why I wanted to cover this story of Luis. One I thought it was an interesting story because he's like, it has kind of these hallmarks of alien abductions, but has that extra detail. He was also teleported to some weird dimension where there was just a flat rock and grass going as far as the eye can see. There's, I mean, it could have taken him to Kansas, but that Kansas has stars. Kansas does have a moon. Like, it's almost like that jungle world of the Bigfoot creature and now this world that these aliens travel to are some sort of void, some sort of nexus place where you can kind of filter in and out of. And them both having the same detail of a black sky with no stars. To me, that is chilling. That to, I mean, I know there's like light pollution and stuff like that, so sometimes you don't see all the stars, but you see some of them. You know that they're there. But to exist in a world that's just a pitch black sky with no stars, to me, is, is hellish. It's so, that is so alien to the human experience. So yeah, I mean, that's just a creepy detail shared between two stories on different continents. Two unrelated stories involving unrelated creatures told by people who have never ever met each other. And these two stories have never been connected before this podcast. These are the these are the little pieces of what I believe are evidence that some of this stuff is factual. Sure, two people can make up the exact same detail on accident. Or, these people survive to tell their stories of this alien world that's accessible from Earth. It's not millions of light years away. You can get to it here through a portal, through a craft. But one thing's for sure. It doesn't sound like a place that is hospitable to humans. It sounds like a place we should do anything to avoid. Let's go ahead and move on to our next story here. Now, our next story is is quite chilling. This is a weird one, and this one's still ongoing. The bulk of it has taken place, but there's still search efforts going on. We're going to Connecticut, the state that never sleeps. It's May 17th, 2018, so a little over a year ago this happened. A little over a year ago this happened. Headed out to Connecticut. So, in Connecticut... There's a lot of people, but we're going to we're going to look at uh, two people in particular. Sophia McKenna, 21-year-old model/masseuse, and her friend Spencer Mugford. He's 20 years old and he was a sailing instructor and he did like charter fishing boat stuff. So, he was a strong swimmer, he knew how his way around a boat. They were good friends and they used to date and then they broke up and she got together with her ex. So this is all important, but not just being a gossip. I'm like, oh, did you know Spencer and Sophia broke up? I'm not trying to be a gossip. They're friends, and she has a boyfriend, and he's just chilling. So on May 27th, 
they say, hey, you know, let's go on a boat ride. Let's go on a boat ride. So they end up taking, and I'm a little, I don't know if technically if they stole this boat or if he had permission, but they ended up taking a boat from the University of Connecticut's boat yard. Can you imagine having such a rich school that your school has like a boat yard? I was lucky when I went to college, I was lucky if I could find a parking spot. And now these, oh, oh, Buffy, did you bring your boat today? Like, who has a boat? Who has a boat section of their college? Anyways, that was my rant. <laughs> so, it's just phenomenal. I, I, are there colleges that... Uh, I can understand a boating college having a boat. I'm not saying, like, nautical school. I'm like, why do you guys have boats? But this is University of Connecticut. This is where people go to get, like, degrees in English and welding and stuff like that. They have a boat section? It's just so bizarre to me. Is there, like, a public university that has, like, a helicopter section? Or they just have, like, ten helicopters hanging out? Anyways, so, these Sophia and Spencer go and they take a boat from the University of Connecticut's bizarre boatyard. So they take one of these boats, and they're headed off to a place called the New London Ledge Lighthouse. New London Ledge Lighthouse. Now, the New London Ledge Lighthouse is an interesting thing. It's basically a stone pier in the middle of the bay, and there's a lighthouse built on top of it. It's not an island. It's not, like, connected to the land, which is what would make an island, but it's not like a natural island. It's just a stone, a giant stone pier with a giant lighthouse. It's not just like a stick with a candle on it. It's like a fully functional lighthouse that people used to live in. And then it went automated back like in 1987. But a giant lighthouse. Like you imagine a U.S. lighthouse. Sticking on a big concrete man-made island in the middle of this bay. Now, like all good crimes. I, this is why I'm a little. I don't think he had permission to take the boat. But I could be wrong on that detail. But she began Snapchatting the journey. So early that morning, like around probably like 1.30 or something like that, she posts a Snapchat of Spencer rowing the boat. Rowing the boat to the lighthouse. And then at 2 a.m., there is a Snapchat photo of her, of Sophia, standing in front of a no-trespassing sign at the lighthouse, kind of sticking her tongue out. Uh, Very playful photo. 2 a.m. That photo was taken, posted a Snapchat. The next day, Sophia's boyfriend can't get a hold of her. And he's calling around. She's not picking up her phone. He can't figure it out. He ends up calling Sophia's mom and saying, Hey, do you happen to know where Sophia is? And she's like, I don't. You don't know? And they kind of have that normal conversation that starts off kind of like, Oh, yeah, yeah. But you can. it starts to get panicked over time. Sophia's mom goes, Okay, well, you know, I'll see if I can get a hold of her. At that point... Earlier that morning, Sophia's sister, little sister, had gotten the mother's phone and was playing with it. So the mother didn't immediately see when she woke up that there were several missed calls, seven missed calls from an unknown number on her cell phone. But when she starts looking for Sophia, she she does get her cell phone. And that is when she sees those seven missed calls from an unknown number. She calls the number back. It goes to Spencer's voicemail. First phone call was made at 2.06 a.m., so six minutes after the photo was taken. Then 2.07 a.m., three calls at 2.08 a.m., and the final call from 2.09 a.m. So the mother didn't have Spencer's phone number in her phone. That's why it was coming up unknown, but Sophia would know the mother's phone. So she was calling from Spencer's phone, 
And it would make sense because at 2 a.m., her phone that was posting the Snapchat video was in the hands of Spencer. So Spencer has her phone, takes the photo. Six minutes later, Spencer's phone is making phone calls to Sophia's mother. So that chain of events makes sense. But they start this search. The police begin searching for Sophia, is the first person who's reported missing. Eventually, Spencer is noticed that he's not there as well, and they're looking for him as well. Everyone's thinking the worst. As the as people are, do you know where Sophia is? Do you know where Sophia is? People go, oh, you know, but, but look on our Snapchat. This shows she was on a boat late last night. So they then see the photo of her standing in front of the no trespassing sign, and people go, she went to the lighthouse. Like, her and Spencer must have taken the boat, because they can even see in the video of the boat, they see the lights in the background, so they can figure out where the boat was headed. And then there's a photo of her standing in front of this lighthouse, sign, no trespassing, people recognize that. Because it's not a super popular tourist destination, but people do go there for a reason, and we'll get to that in a second. So, the police go there, and there's no one there. No one on this man-made island, this lighthouse, it's empty. It's been automated since 1987. So they have to start thinking, what could have happened to these two people? His shirt, Spencer's shirt, is tied around a mooring pole at the lighthouse. So where they would tie the boats down to moor them. So where they would like throw, tie the boats down, basically, to keep them from flowing away. They found his shirt tied around one end of that. So that was like one clue that they had. 48 hours after these two go missing, so very shortly on, they find the boat washed up on a shore. It just basically crashed up somewhere there were no footprints leading from the boat like across the across the sand there was no footprints like leading off somewhere so they go the boat must have been abandoned so they start working with this theory they go okay here's our theory they got to the they did get to the lighthouse we have photographic proof of that he tied the boat down with his shirt and they got up on the island and at that point the at some point the shirt started to get untied and the boat got washed away, and he jumped in the water after it, but he was probably really tired from, you know, the rowing out there. He jumped in the water after it, and she may have jumped in the water after him. We're going to find the bodies, because they're, they are not on the island. They checked everywhere. This is the reason why people knew to go there. People recognize the area, because the lighthouse has a reputation for being haunted. It is a place where people go to, like, meet ghosts. Ghost hunter shows have gone there. Paranormal investigators have gone there. And if you can take a boat from your college or you just happen to own a boat, you can go there too. It's not restricted property. As far as, well, I guess there's a no trespassing sign. But, you know, like teen kids are going to jump the fence and go into a graveyard anyway. So, I mean, you can go there. You can well, physically go there, but they go there to go ghost hunting. It's a spooky place in the middle of nowhere. So that's their working theory. And they actually start to realize that that is most likely what happened. Because two weeks later, they find Spencer's body floating in the water. So they go, okay, so this is what this is what happened. Like, yes, he tied the boat down and it started to break away and he jumped in to save the boat and she must have jumped in after him and they're done. And and what's odd, very odd, it was they found his body on the day they were having his memorial service. On the day of his memorial service, they find his body. So that does answer that question of what happened to him. But people are still trying to figure out what happened to Sophia. Now, now I guess tying down a boat with your jacket, like, I would think, well, that's dumb. Why don't you just use a rope? But, I mean, I'm not a nautical person. I'm not a sailor. I guess is the term I'm supposed to use. I guess a tie is a tie. And this guy, 
He wasn't some drunk frat boy. Like, this is what he did for a living. So he didn't just, like, loop it around the boat a couple times and then jump up on this pier. Like, he tied it down the way you would moor a boat to a harbor, to a pier. Just doing nautical knots is what I'm saying. He wasn't just all doing it all loosey-goosey. Like, he had it dialed in. But it unmoored, it did get unmoored, and it did float away. They know that. He jumped in. They're assuming that because his body was found in the river. The question still is, where is Sophia? People are going, whoa, whoa, whoa. If she jumped in the water after him, how did she make the phone calls? Like, did she make those seven phone calls and then jump in the water to find him? Police are like, we don't know. And and the mother was like, there's no, she wasn't a confident swimmer. There's no way she would jump into the water in the pitch dark trying to find someone who's a better swimmer than her. She, she goes, the mother says, she just wouldn't do that. Two other men died in the harbor that day. Two other men died just from, because it's like Memorial Day weekend. So two other men died in boating accidents that day. Fell off their boats, got drunk, got hit by a boat, whatever. Both of those bodies have been found as well. So we can we can presume that four people fell into the water that weekend. Spencer, Sophia, and then these two other men. Three of those people were found, which is giving more credence to the theory that she did not fall into the water. Because if she had fallen into the water, she would have been found by now. So people are thinking maybe she was stuck on that island and another boat came and kidnapped her. Maybe she was stuck on that island and someone killed her, serial killer, or just regular killer. Maybe they were being followed the whole time and someone untied the boat and there was a struggle and they throw Spencer in the water and they throw her on a boat and stuff like that. Those are all very, very chilling things. And I don't want to make light of this young woman's disappearance or the tragedy of Spencer's death or anything like that. I'm not trying to do that at all. However, there is an interesting paranormal note to all of this. Like I said, it's a renowned place for ghost hunting. But not just that. It's not just that. This place was hated by the people who worked there. So from it was built in 1909. And it was when the big pier was built. And then they were building the lighthouse on top of it. And then in 1987, the Coast Guard went fully automated. So now it's just a computer system that runs it. Now the legend goes that at some point in the early times of this lighthouse in operation... There was a guy. Some people say his name is John. Some people say his name is Ernie. It really depends on who you're talking to. So not super credible to begin with here, but some interesting similarities. So there was this guy. His wife cheated on him. So he jumped. He climbed to the top of the lighthouse one night and jumped off and just all over the rocks. And at that point, people were like, well, we got to get a new lighthouse keeper. So they send someone else there. But what happens is, Lighthouse keepers who are working there keep complaining about doors getting unlocked, of bed sheets kind of flying off their bed. You make a cup, make a cup of tea, it fall down. Normal poltergeist stuff, stuff that is quite annoying. So you know you can deal with it. You can you know you wake up, you wake up and your bedroom door is open, which has happened to me quite a few times. It's because the wind is blowing through the, my apartment and. It's still creepy. Like, when I wake up, I know why my bedroom door got pushed open. It's still very unsettling. Imagine that on a rock in the middle of a stormy night, and you're the only person in a spooky, spooky lighthouse. How much more terrifying that would be. But this ghost also had another trick up its sleeve. What would happen was people who would be working in the lighthouse would go to leave, 
and their boat would be floating in the harbor. No matter how hard they tied these boats down, sometimes they'd get untied and float away. Super creepy detail. I remember when I was, because re- I looked at the Sophia stuff, I was researching that, and then I started researching the haunted past of this thing. And just as like, they're like, the ghost does this, the ghost does this, the ghost unties boats, the ghost does this. And I was like, what? So this ghost is known for untying boats made by like nautical knots. Again, they're not just doing little like cheap shoelace knots. They know how to tie a boat down. They go out, their boat is floating away. They have to call for help. That coupled with the fact that this ghost killed himself over his wife cheating on him. And you have this spirit sitting there in the night. And a young man and a young woman show up at a pier. A young woman who, and I'm not, I'm not trying to cast any judgments on this person, but you have a woman and a man on a pier that's haunted by a ghost who killed himself because his wife left him. And this woman and this man on this pier used to be lovers, but she left him for her ex-boyfriend. She got back together with her ex-boyfriend. It's like this paranormal psychic pot just bubbling forward as you have this perfect storm of elements at 2 a.m. on this pitch black island. Is, Is Sophia somehow still there? And again, this sounds totally insensitive, but is Sophia somehow still there? Will they not find her? Has she been... We talked about other dimensions, portals, in just the last segment. Is she caught somewhere between our reality and Ernie's reality? Is she trapped there by a spirit so bent on vengeance... That when the perfect victim just dropped on his doorstep, all he had to do was untie a boat and let it sail off. Spencer jumps in. She's frantically calling her mom on Spencer's phone in the dark. Two in the morning. No one's picking up. Why did she stop placing those phone calls? Did the battery die? And then she's trapped, surrounded by pitch blackness and the sound of the sea around her. Did something force her to stop making those calls? Somebody or something? No evidence of what happened to her has been found. No clothing, no blood, nothing. But there is one little piece of evidence to the story of Ernie. Before the lighthouse went automated, back in 87, the last lighthouse keeper wrote in a log, Rock of Slow Torture, Ernie's Domain, Hell on Earth. May New London Ledge's light shine on forever because I'm through. I will watch it from afar while I'm drinking a brew. You gotta wonder if that lighthouse keeper still lives out there, but now safely snuggled on the coastline of Connecticut. And if every so often he looks out and sees that lighthouse in the middle of the water, remembers the horrific experience, calling it the rock of slow torture, Ernie's domain. What did that lighthouse keeper see and experience 
to write those words into that log. It wasn't his journal. It was the log for the lighthouse. What could he have possibly experienced over the course of his job there that would make him call it Rock of Slow Torture? Who knows? But the frightening thing is, someone else may be experiencing that same thing right now. With no chance of escape. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash DeadRabbitRadio. Twitter is at Jason O. Carpenter. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. Peace.